came up with this today. Gender equity is the journey, but gender balance is the destination. Hey guys, I'm Taryn. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the Perth Business Podcast, where we go behind the scenes to give you an insight into what's happening in Perth's business community. In this episode, we talked to Tanya Ciccone from CEOs for Gender Equity, an organisation working with leaders to inspire and influence more CEOs in WA to get gender on the agenda. We talk about the state of play of gender equity in WA and how businesses can take the first steps to achieving gender balance in the workplace. Where I left off and you were gaining members and thinking about doing these events and having already having the committee meetings and things like that. So where did it come from then was that 2017? Yeah, yeah. Been 2017. End of 2017. Yeah. End of 2017? Yeah. Beginning? Middle, beginning. Beginning. Yeah, right. I, okay. Graduated mid-year. Okay, right. So I, I started at CS for Gender Equity at, in March 2016. Yeah. Coincided with International Women's Day 2016. So I will have been in the role five years come this yeah. March. And then so probably we started off with 12 members. Mid-17 probably we might have had maybe... I don't know. How many members would we have had? 20 so, or so? Probably just under 20. Just under 20? Yeah. yeah. So I was signing up on average about two a month Yeah. until recently. So now we've got 50. Mm, and I wow. can't, yeah, so we're at capacity yeah. now in as much that um, there are about four, just under 400 companies that report to the Workplace Gender Equality mm. Agency that are headquartered in WA. And then if you map the change curve mm. over that uh, sample of companies you begin to acknowledge that well only two and a half percent are really they're really progressive Mm. another two and a half percent of the real laggards then of course you've got you know the early adopters and the innovators after them and then the late adopters so we know to engage more than what we've got we're going to end up in late adopter territory who are so hard to bring on so the 50 is just capacity if we can amplify what they're doing well then we'll you know we'll feel we'll, we'll have enough success yeah. so it's just me and, and a point five. yeah yeah so yeah, yeah cool. so it's more than what I can handle but having said that even though the progressives are really progressive and really get it and they tend to be progressive in sustainability you know digital transformation mm-hmm. um yeah Aboriginal engagement and reconciliation LGBTQI they're really progressive in all those dimensions so what I see is that there's still an opportunity to work more deeply with them. And that's the work we've launched probably over the last 12 months, having yep. the conversations that I have with CEOs, like the ones who used to video. So I've now expanded it from the CEO with their executive leadership team. I do it with their middle managers. I do it with all their managers through a business unit. But what I also do is I kick it off with our feedback from their frontline workers. And I take that feedback mm. from the frontline workers I said, tell me how you think you lead on this CEO and your team. And they tell me. And I go, well, this is what your people really think. Yeah, right. That's it. That would be interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely. Truth, hey? Yeah, absolutely. And it's done very diplomatically. So they're always confronted by it because I take them through a framework, which is the leadership shadow framework. I get them to reflect on what they say, what they do, what they prioritise and what they measure. And then that same framework is the same framework. I use them frontline people to elicit their feedback according to that framework. So what do you leaders say about gender? What do they do? What do they prioritise and what do they measure? Mm. 
Mm. And then hence that's when you begin to identify the disconnect. Yeah, like do they actually say what they or do what they say they're yeah, going to do? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the leaders are always grateful for the feedback and the eye opening, but it really helps guide us in terms of what they need to where they are now mm. and what they need to be doing to get from A to B. Mm. And do you help them on that track from A to B? Do you provide solutions for them if they are shortcoming in some area? Uh, well, Taryn, I firstly I don't define it as a shortcoming. Yep. In as much that uh, for many people, um, I came up with this today, gender equity is the journey, but gender balance is the destination. So we're talking about it in the car. I was like, it's a balance. It's not about promoting women all the time, every time. Yeah, yeah. It's a balance. Absolutely. Yeah. So the conversations we facilitated. We a quote, so that's, that's Thank you I trained so much. her well. <laughs> it was like a 10 minute drive. I was like, it's all about the balance. So the conversations are very balanced. And um, so... You know, what we need to remember is that a lot of these organisations were built by men, for men. And so you can't just put up a shingle overnight saying we want women. Mm. So that's great, you're demanding women, but still the environment, uh, quite often there's, uh, you know, the, the bias isn't overt, it's systemic. And a bit like Eddie Maguire, oh, we're not racist, it's just our processes. Well, mm. yeah. <laughs> that's what systemic bias means. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's about just recognising how the system was built by men for men. It doesn't accommodate women. So let's just begin to address the systemic issues. So I, that's why I don't see the shortcomings. It's, it's a learning. And in terms of the tools that I provide, I create awareness and help sow the seed. Because once they get it, they accelerate the journey internally. They've already got all the tools internally. Mm-hmm. They've got the process. They've got the policy. They've got the organisational systems. They just need to get it. Yeah, click, absolutely. Click, click. And until it, until the penny drops, they, um, yeah, they don't know what they don't know. So, if anything, the only tool I provide them is I equip them to have the conversations with each other. And I suppose what we're very good at is we facilitate a safe space to have these conversations. Um, we create an environment where it is judgment free. And um, it is without um, uh, criticism that people may hold these views. I have a way that I set up the conversation so people do have an opportunity to table what their grievances or what their issues are. Then straight away the CEO in particular, and I do as well, get to see where everyone stands. And then from there the conversation flows in terms of, well, where they're at and I help them provide an alternative perspective based on what I've seen my CEOs do. Mm. Yeah, so it's very contextual. I get them to reflect on their own workplace experience and we find solutions that typically are generated by them. If they can turn their mind to the issue and some of the barriers, they generate their own solutions, Mm. which is a lot more powerful than me prescribing anything. Yeah, saying you need to do this, it's like anything at work, this is a new process if you don't... Absolutely. Make them think it's their idea at least. Yeah. Well, I don't even have to make them think it's their idea. They provide the context. They provide what the issue is, what the challenge is. And then if I open up their mind to the possibilities, they generate their own solution. Mm. That's what you want. That's it. Absolutely. So it's completely owned by them and it's completely um, developed by them. And uh, and we often come back, you know, to talk about how they've gone on that. So I do a lot of uh, one-to-one coaching now for middle managers because obviously... That's the group, like the frozen middle, that typically um, typically most initiatives either, you know, their success 
or failure hinges on that unmovable or immovable mm. middle. So if we can activate them and their thinking and their commitment to this, that's where we see a lot of progress. Yeah. Mm. Is there any, obviously it's a, a huge topic and I, there's obviously been heaps of difficulties along the way. Is there anything that stands out in your mind? Like one uh, company that you worked with or a situation where you were like, okay, this is going to, I have to roll up my sleeves here. Like this is... <laughs> Oh, Jake, that's probably with every conversation 99%. I have. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I was afraid you'd say that. Yeah, <laughs> probably with every conversation. But I think that's more um, indicative of the candidness and the honesty that we look to elicit in the conversation. Yeah. Because there's a thin veneer of politeness over everything we do. Yeah. You're not going to get anywhere if you're just... No, yeah. absolutely. So that politeness and respect still exists. Uh, but I suppose I work really hard at setting up the conversation to start with to elicit that candidness yeah. and to peel away the layers. Um, so certainly there was one conversation I had just recently after coming back from three weeks leave. And I was looking at this man thinking, oh my God, how am I going to get... How, how am I going to crack this nut? Because he was really saying the company line it was very artificial mm. it wasn't genuine and in fact i called him out on it yeah yeah and i said you know what um fine absolutely yeah. fine i mean we'd already built some rapport already but i kept thinking my goodness I, i've lost my touch is what i thought i thought <laughs> oh my god and i thought i'm beginning to feel contempt for this conversation and for this bloke, I thought, how just, you know, I'd better put all of that aside. And why I was feeling it is because, like I said, there was no genuineness. There was no um, commitment to trying to understand the issues. Anyway, finally, I'd, we'd, we'd, we'd cracked. We'd found a, a level of rapport. And, and then very quickly, we moved on to his current situation and how we could think differently and the way that I cracked him if you like for want of a better word is that I got him to reflect on what success looked like for previous projects and the attributes of those successful people involved in those projects and he told me I said well how much of those successful attributes actually reflect in the people you're looking for in future and he said none there's there's a complete mismatch in terms of what success looks like compared to what we're looking for. Yeah, Therefore, right. tell me That's more. That's interesting. I, I like said, that. That's yeah. good. Reverse engineer what you actually need rather than just put the normal stuff on paper. Yeah, yeah. And what does the normal stuff on paper look like? Technical, 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 technical. Mm. And then I got him to... Then he reflected on a time when he was young and something that had happened to him where they had put aside the traditional criteria to recruit him. Right, so he was like an exception to the yep. rule, I yep. suppose. Yeah. So that then had guided his recruitment decisions in the future to say, well, in fact, I only recruit on aptitude and attitude, not on technicalities. I said, so why do you continue to do that, to do what you're doing now, despite what you learned? Yeah. So then that's how the conversation shifted and he was grateful for the conversation afterward and, and I was too because I'm always grateful for people's honesty. Mm. Mm. Sounds like a lot of it weighs on you 
I feel like the weight of gender equity is sitting on you for WA, which is no pressure. Not all. concerning that we don't have more, you know, around more if we could clone you, but is there a plan or before we go into that, I suppose, how does that weigh on you as an individual? Well, that observation doesn't sit well with me, Taryn, <laughs> because I loathe it being about me, and I don't think it's about me at yeah. all, in as much that I'm so grateful to my CEOs who <clears throat> who do these commitments, like yeah. they say to me, they pay me $10,000 to join, and they do all the work. Yeah. <laughs> this is the best business idea ever. Well, so it's easy for me because they know exactly what they're signing up for. If they sign up for any other membership organisation, say in construction or in mining or exploration, and gender equity is an agenda item on that broader, you know, um, organisation's agenda, they've got that industry capture that they can't afford to upset. They're members, so they can't afford to push the barrow on it too far because those members didn't sign up for that. Mm. They signed up for political advocacy or or whatever. But my agenda is really explicit. Our agenda is really explicit, so they know exactly what they're signing up for. So because they know exactly what they're signing up for, they're happy to be advocates, so they do the work. They do the work. And with their third commitment, where I get them to host their own CEO roundtable with non-converted... They're doing the work, so that's our ripple effect. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so that's how we spread the message. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And powerhouse. Hmm. It's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> so what I mean is, there's no confusion when they sign up. Absolutely yeah. no confusion. So yeah, so I think we're really lucky in that regard. And I'd love more people to imitate what we do, you know. And at the beginning of COVID, I'd already had um, a forum set up with. Um, these are the delegates of the CEOs, but they're not really delegates because they're not acting on behalf of a CEO, but they're mm. typically practitioners within our member organisations. And it's just a forum I run that's conversational where we get to share, they all get to share what's working and what's not. And this particular forum, I invited all heads of female um, organisations who, who play in this space to um, promote women. So, um, you know, like women in construction, women in operations, women in mining and all the rest. So I invited them all and we invited the Australian Bureau of Statistics, two researchers here based in WA who collect the data for the um, gender pay gap. Mm. And true to what I'd suspected, no one understood what the methodology of gender pay gap was. In Australia, much less in, in, in WA as a microcosm, you know, a, su- a subset of that. And so we shared, I shared it with them, you know, what it was and what it measures, and it's got naught to do with like for like, but it shows where women are within an organisation, typically at the bottom, not at the top, and within an economy. And then they all said, well, Tanya, what do we do to close the gender pay gap? I said, well, how many of you now ask your members if they do a gender pay gap audit? And... No, does it? No, no. I said, well, the biggest thing you can do is ask your members, for me, for us, if they do a gender pay gap audit. That's all you have to do, just ask them. Because in WA, whilst we've got the highest gender pay gap, I suppose a lag indicator of that is that we've got the lowest uptake of gender pay gap audits in Australia. Mm. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Mm. Interesting. Mm. So that's, I ask people to do 
you know, to, to employ similar types of strategies as what we're doing. All that other stuff matters. You know, fixing women, or well, no, that I, I don't subscribe to that. But you know, that, that focus on you know, encouraging women to be more confident, stepping up, leaning in, and asking for more, that has a place. Uh, but in terms of our work, I do ask them to focus on what they can do with employers. And I mm. think asking, do you do a gender pay gap, is a really is the first place where they can easily start. Yeah, yeah, because it's not something they can say. Mm. It's just a yes or no. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, it's binary. No. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's it. And if they say no, I'm pretty sure once you turn their mind to it, they do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't curiosity make, probably yeah, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't make my CEOs do anything. Yeah. They do it of their own volition. Yeah. It's HR hygiene 101. But how can you invest in fixing women if you don't even do a gender pay gap order? <laughs> um, so what about you? Where are you? You're from... Are you from WA? Yeah. Yeah. Where were you born? How long have you kind of been in the city metro area or have you always been in the metro yeah, absolutely. No, so I was born and raised in Guildford. Yeah, yeah. Right. So my parents are migrants. Yeah, yeah. So mum came when she was ten. Dad came when he was nineteen. So my first language, yeah, I didn't speak English when I went to school. Oh, yeah. oh my so goodness. Italian was literally my first language. Oh, <laughs> that would have been challenging. Well, like mum and dad knew they. Um, it's not because they couldn't speak English. Well, dad still struggles, but. Uh, um, uh, they just knew that we'd pick it up at school, and I did, you know. Mm, I did, yeah. Can you still speak Italian? Not very well. Yeah. Only when I'm there, I can certainly get my way around a bar and yeah. a coffee and a pastry. <laughs> All the essentials. All the essentials. Yeah, you're, you're sweet, you're safe, you're fine. Clothes and shoes, and that's it. That's good. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so it's been a long time yeah, since I've been, but... Uh, yeah, so, yeah, born and bred and um, spent some time living uh, in Thailand, in Bangkok, mm. spent some time living in Darwin. Yeah, but otherwise, yeah. Yeah. WA. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I suppose I've always been interested in leadership, but not for the sake of leadership, for the, for the sake of affecting change. Mm. So quite often young women will say to me, oh, I've been asked to step up to the next level, but I don't want to. And I say, well, why mm. not? Well, they say, because I don't want to be like the other bosses like that. So I get them to describe the other bosses and quite often they don't like the behaviours that they're, male or female, that they're seeing. And I say, do you know, do you believe that you have to act like them to be effective? And they always say no. I go, well, what stops you from developing your own leadership style and your own leadership commitment in a way that's different to them and probably even deliver superior outcomes? And they all agree that they can do that. So I've managed to talk a few people into those roles and uh, and uh, I suppose I was always attracted to how could I reframe that leadership leadership opportunity in a way that you could still deliver superior outcomes if not better than people before you and but how could you also um, uh, look after the people that you are responsible for and let them be the best that they can be mm. so that's what drives me yeah that's so interesting the effect that other managers I don't know how you find it in your role but quite fortunate for me, I think yeah. in my company but I can I've heard some stories so yeah. I can appreciate where I am because of other people's yeah. experiences I think yeah right um, but yeah I'm lucky are you are you happy with the way things are going in this space and sort of gender equity do you think we're on the right track or do you think we're still quite far off in WA well, Jake, that's a good question. Um, 
I'm really privileged because I get to work with the, with the um, really progressive leaders in, in this space. So I see the best leaders who are curious, uh, they've got a huge degree of humility, and they all admit that uh, there's still a long way to go. So I really accept that. So it's easy, therefore, to be blinded by those really positive and um, positive, yeah, those positive conversations. If we look at the data, though, we're not moving fast enough. Absolutely, yeah, we're not moving fast enough and we can't blame the mining sector. The mining sector is probably the most progressive sector amongst all sectors mm. in Australia and WA. Do you think that's because they've got the spotlight a little bit on them? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. It's not because they've got the spotlight in as much. It's because I think they're really driven by numbers. Mm. And um, so when the head of BHP some time ago famously said, well, give me all the data for, you know, um, well, when he was presented all the data, each of his business units globally and when they drilled down to what success looked like they found that those business units that had the highest um, safety levels of engagement productivity satisfaction they were the business units that had the highest level of um, diversity including gender so for him it was a no-brainer to say Diversity and gender is a real focus for us to achieve superior results. Mm. And they've got the sample size as well to test it. They do, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and they made it a priority. So that's why BHP has got their aggressive, you know, gender equity um, targets 50-50 by 2025. Yeah. Mm. It's driven purely by stats. Yeah. 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 So I don't think many organisations have a huge focus on data, and if they did... It'd be a different story. It would be a different story. So even now with a couple of clients I'm working with, in a deep way, um, part of the, the third stage of the program I run with them is we then, we by all means, we start with the data, but we finish with the data to say, oh, okay then, now if you drill down to each of your divisions, now you've got a commitment to increasing the number of women I want you now to start measuring your efficacy across not just your gender data, but start measuring all of your, your according to your efficacy indicators, mm. whether it's all your projects on time, under budget, which they generally have those high level measures, but to start looking at retention, attraction, um, the number of sexual harassment complaints, um, the, the number of, um, you know, looking at um, attrition more broadly, so to look at a raft of measures and to start to benchmark. So the, the richness of the data is gained when you begin to measure those results longitudinally. And then hopefully, well not hopefully, but we know that the research will support that basically you know, uh, organisations and if we extrapolate that down to divisions are more successful if there are more women mm. or if there's better gender balance, I should say. Mm. So yeah, so we're driving that conversation internally. Yeah. You can't mm. argue with data either, really. No, you can't. No, you can't. Yeah. But the data's not enough. I, I call it the head and the heart argument. So <laughs> yeah. the rational um, uh, argument exists for having more women, but people still don't get it. Mm. So like I say, I like to connect the head and the heart. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to that episode. If you loved it, don't forget to leave us a review. And if you hated it, keep it to yourself. And if you know who you want to hear from on the next episodes, slide into our DMs on Instagram.